church. Welcome to 2018. I'm going to say this often. I am convinced that God is opening doors for us to reach out in 2018. Um, And I believe that God is trusting us with opportunities to make an impact on the lives of people in this region. Last uh, Monday night, we had our first Celebrate Recovery, and it was good, Uh, very good, and it was a joy to those who were there, and we can see the potential for what that will mean in the lives of people. If you weren't able to make it last Monday night, then I want to invite you to come and see. Come and see what it's all about. You may be saying, well, I don't need CR. Okay, but are you curious? Are you interested? Just come and see. What I want every one of you to know is you are more than welcome to come and be there. We'll, we'll start a meal at 5.30 tomorrow night upstairs, and then at 6 o'clock we'll have a time of worship and a time that they call open share. And, and you can just come and see what it's like. Come and see what it's about. Bring your friends. On February 9th, uh, the, the, the renovations are, are being held off until February 9th because we're going to do our second night to shine. What's great about this second year with this is we can look back at what happened last year. Last year we went into it, we weren't sure what to expect. We didn't know what it would be like. And right now we're ramping up the, uh, the media campaign. We want people to know about this. We want people to know that there's something like this. They're either going to come and participate as kings and queens, or they're going to come and participate to serve others. And sometimes we're going to reach out to the families who have people with special needs, and sometimes we're going to reach out to the people who say, that looks like a good thing, I want to do that, and along the way they're going to be impressed with how much God loves and cares for other people and how much God loves and cares for them. So, as we tell you to think about being a part of this, we can show you some scenes from last year's Night to Shine. Okay, Jordan. Is this not the one with the soundtrack? That's me. I guess if there's no soundtrack, I'll narrate it. um, Ted was a buddy. We had people who were buddies for this event. Um, This was the limo, which was a real hit. There's the hairdressing. That's one of the things you can do can help people get ready for this. That's inside the limo. I did not get to ride inside the limo. This is people standing in line waiting to ride, and when I asked people what their favorite part was, they said, waiting to ride the limo. And I said, you mean riding the limo? They said, no, waiting to ride the limo was my favorite part. There's Brent in the karaoke. This is always a hit. And there's Brent getting down. He's (laughs) Princess Evans. Uh, there's everybody enjoying the night. That's the buddies and the kings and queens. The people who have special needs get to be made to feel special. I do believe that's David Burns before the plastic surgery. And there's one of our kings, one of our honored guests. We need security. That's one of the needs for this event also. This was the red carpet event. We can, you can come and participate in that. Just come and celebrate. 
that it starts at age 14 and there is no upper limit. And a lot of people who came were, uh, they were older and their family members brought them. We get to minister on their family members too, the ones who take care of them. There's a hospitality room for them. There's so many ways you can care for people in this event. Yeah, she was uh, Miss Arkansas teen, and she was giving the crowns out to those who were the uh, the queens. And then we had a um, we had an officer, a military officer, giving out the, the the crowns for the kings. Is that it? Is that? Well, let me tell you. You can go to. Um, <clears throat> I want to give you a website, fsnighttoshine.org. And you'll see more pictures, and um, you can watch. The, there's one video with a soundtrack, one without. I really like the song that was on the one with the soundtrack. And you can, um, you can th- learn there how to sign up and learn more about this event. And then there's information in your bulletin today as well. Okay. Um, I'm ready to start preaching. I bet you are too. We'll see how long my voice lasts. Why don't you pray with me? Father, I ask that you would be with us as we um, seriously consider what it means to have your power, your spirit at work among us. I I want us to really think about what that means because it means we've got to accept something that maybe we're not used to accepting. I pray that you'd be with me as I preach, be with all of us as we hear your word. That we really consider what it means when Jesus says that the Spirit of the Lord is upon him to preach good news. Good news to those who are often overlooked or looked down upon or pitied by the world. Lord, I pray that you would be with us in opportunities like Celebrate Recovery opportunities like night to shine i pray that we will see the opportunities to participate in your very different kingdom values father we pray this in jesus name amen we're going to start a series today and it'll run through the middle of march and it's called dynamic when you hear the word dynamic maybe you think of the dynamic duo or maybe you think of uh uh, a dynamic preacher. I can't tell you how many minister searches I've been in and people say, well, we want a dynamic preacher. It's like, what does that mean? Uh, you know, somebody to keep us awake? What, what exactly are you talking about? And, um, you know, the, the word dynamic um, uh, might be used in, in, in science. It comes from the Greek word that means power, But it also means ability, strength, energy, work. It can be miraculous or not so miraculous. It's just the power to do, the the ability. And that word, that Greek word that we get, that we turn into dynamic in English, shows up in Luke's gospel a lot. And between chapters 4 through 9 in Luke, we're going to be reading stories that we can dismiss as, oh, those are great. 
Those are great miracle stories about Jesus and what he did back in the day in the first century. Because, you know, those people were dumb back then and didn't know logic. And they had to see magic show to believe that this was really the Son of God. But thank God that we're scientific and all sophisticated-like, and we don't need all that. Mm -hmm. I don't see anywhere in Scripture where that's what it's saying. I'm not here to tell you that uh, if we go through this series, then uh, in six or seven weeks... We'll all be like Harry Potter running around doing magic acts, okay? That's not what I'm saying either. I believe that this word of gospel is saying that when we allow Christ to be Lord, when we accept him as Lord, he will do what he intends to do among us. And we need to be ready for that. And that when the power of Christ is at work among us, it's far more than what you and I can do with all of our resources and all of our ability. And these stories are shared in Luke. Remember, Luke said that his reason was so that we might know the certainty of the things that we have come to believe. There's got to be a power that backs up that belief. We can say we believe in Christ, but do we have the power, the energy, the ability the intent to act on that. It all starts in chapter 4. We'll read from 14 and on. That after Jesus is tempted by Satan in the wilderness, and he submits himself to the power of God and trusts in God's power and prevails. And then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read the Scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll, found the place where it was written, which is Isaiah 61, by the way, and he read it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. And he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Everyone spoke very well of him, of Jesus. They were amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? And then Jesus said, you'll undoubtedly quote this proverb. Physician, heal yourself. Which means, do miracles here in your own hometown like those you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted. No prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. No, 
He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elisha, but the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious, jumping up. They mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. Jesus preached what we call in the trade a moving sermon. A moving sermon is one where you offend the congregation so badly that you've got to pack up and move the next day. Isn't it interesting that when you read that, that what motivates that congregation is anger? How patronizing, how tame is it when Jesus Christ is reading the words of Scripture, the words of the prophet Isaiah, and people are saying, now who is he? Well, it's Joseph's son. Oh, he speaks so well. What a patronizing, humbling thing to say of the Son of God. I think he went to school somewhere. Yeah, he did. He's smart. They're all just so warm and fuzzy about the fact that their hometown boy is doing so well. He's a carpenter's kid, you know. Oh, yes. It's lovely. You know, they're, 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 they're okay with that. And he read scripture. He read the word of God. But when he starts making application, that's when they get upset. When, when, when uh, they have no problem with Jesus reading Isaiah. The word of God. Scripture. It's on a scroll. Jesus hands it to the attendant. You know, you go into a synagogue today, and it's, 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 it's very similar then. That word, that Torah, is held with respect. You know, it's kept by an attendant. I just read scripture to you that was electronic, made out of photons and pixels. They treat scripture far more reverently than we do. In some places, people stand when the word of God is written. So they treat that very reverently. But it's when, it's when Jesus acts as if the word of God is really going to matter. That's when they get upset. When it's no longer just a polite reading. When it's no longer just, well, this is good. Our hometown boy has come home. We're going to let him read scripture. When he acts like that what they heard is actually happening today. That's when they jump up and threaten to throw him off a cliff. You know those dynamics still happen in congregations? That among people that we might jokingly refer to as the frozen chosen? Because we don't expect anything to happen in worship that's going to be upsetting. But if you do something wrong or if you say something wrong, then people will stand up and leave. When I was... Um, I had like one of my first gospel meetings. Remember gospel meetings? Some of you will remember gospel meetings. 
For those of you who don't remember gospel meetings, um, well, forget it. There's no way to explain it. Anyway, what happens is you invite some other preacher that you're not used to listening to and falling asleep during his sermons, and he preaches for a week, and the idea is is that a lot of people are going to hear the gospel and get saved. So I got to do one of these in a small town. This is when I was first starting out. This is 20 years ago. And I remember talking to the the preacher, and he told me, and I remember this line because it took me, it, it knocked me off my pins, I'll be honest. He said, here's where we meet, here's what we do, here's what time we'll start. He was obviously in charge of the whole thing, and he said, now if you preach any error, I will jerk you out of the pulpit. Those are the words. And the Holy Spirit of God kept me from being a jerk. And uh, I responded in a rather clever manner. I said, well, how about I just preach the Word of God? Is that okay? Yeah, that was the right answer to give. But, you know, here's the thing. What do we do when just preaching the Word of God has an edge to it and may cause people to jump up? I mean, what's going to happen when the text says that this is the subject and we need to hear it and we need to talk about this? Are we willing to accept the Word of God that says today this Scripture is getting real for you and me? I didn't know what to do in that circumstance when it meant that, okay, I'll just preach the Word of God, but what if in preaching the Word of God I say something that is upsetting? Are you still going to jerk me out of the pulpit? Because I don't know what your definition of error is. Whether it's just something that's wrong, or whether it's just something that you don't like. As long as Jesus was just reading an ancient word of Scripture that was for those people long ago, and it was Isaiah, the hometown crowd in Nazareth had no problem. But the second it became something that mattered and demanded a change, and demanded that they examine themselves. When he pointed out to them that you're going to want these miracles, you're going to want these things to happen here like they do in Capernaum, but it's not going to happen because you won't accept the power of Christ among you. Just like in the days of Elijah, it wasn't any of the Israelite widows that experienced the power of God. It was a foreigner. It was an outsider. Just like in the days of Elisha, it wasn't any of the Israelite lepers that experienced healing. It was a foreigner. It was an outsider. Jesus is saying, you, the hometown crowd, might miss out because I am too familiar to you. And when I do something that doesn't meet your expectations, you're going to get defensive. You're going to get angry. You're going to show fear. You're going to want to jerk me out of the pulpit. And I think we want to do that sometimes with our Lord. Maybe it's a fear of Christ's power making a real difference. It's, it's unsettling to us. Because let's be honest, sometimes we want, and I, I'm, I'm putting myself under this judgment. You've got to decide whether this applies to you or not. If it doesn't, great. Teach the rest of us, please. If it does, then let's humble ourselves. Sometimes we want God to be tame. We want God to be on our side of things. We want Christ to meet our 
conclusions that we've already drawn. You'll hear it when we say things like, my Jesus would never do that, my Jesus would never do that. Well, maybe your Jesus wouldn't, but what would Jesus do? He might do something very different. He might have a very different opinion on this. I'm sure that when the young man came up to him and said, hey, what do I have to do to be saved? You want to be perfect, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And that poor young fellow's walking away saying, my Jesus would never ask me to sell everything that I own and give it to the poor. No, no, no. See, Jesus said, and Jesus isn't getting this idea just to be, just to poke people in the eye or to be controversial. It's coming straight from Scripture. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. He had been tested. He had been in the wilderness. Satan gave him options to be Lord and Messiah on his own terms. Why don't you turn rocks into bread? Feed a bunch of people. Take care of the world. Why don't you jump off the temple? Show everybody your glory. Prove to them that you're the Son of God. Why don't you bow down and worship me? And you'll get all the kingdoms on earth because I've been given the authority to give them away. And Jesus says no. Each time. Trusting that God will define him. And it's interesting that after that wilderness temptation, he comes away. And Luke says he's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not just some superpower that Jesus is born with or received at his baptism. It's a gift of God for him. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And because that Spirit of the Lord is upon him, he has a mission. And he describes it in the words of Isaiah. Good news for who? The poor. Freedom for captives. Sight for those who are blind. Deliverance for those who are oppressed. You read something like this and you might say, well, that sounds good. That's, all, that's, that's a lot of great justice talk. Mm-hmm. But who are these people? Who are the poor, the captives, the blind, the oppressed? What about in the hometown of Nazareth? Who was blind? The people who couldn't see that Jesus was Lord. Who were the oppressed, the captives, those who were trapped by their own expectations and their own ability to demand, make demands on God? Who were the poor? Those who had a poverty of spirit and couldn't accept that God was doing his work among them right there that day. The thing is, if we can't accept that we might be the poor, the captives, the blind, the oppressed, then we might miss out on the year of the Lord's favor. You know, when we start working with uh, other people, in ministries like Celebrate Recovery or Night to Shine or uh, any number of things. You know, the Hope Chest, Cure, uh, even the campus ministry, the youth ministry, just whatever it may be. Sometimes we have a tendency, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to criticize us for this, but it's something we really need to wake up to, that God needs us to help those people. As if God somehow can't, take care of that himself yes you and i are the only hands and feet that god has well now wait a second i'd love to be god's agent i'd love to be representing him and be his hands and feet 
But God's not an amputee. he's He's not without hands and feet. He doesn't need me, but thank God he wants me. He wants to use me, and he wants to use us. And in doing so, we find that those people that we're reaching out to and helping are the ones who actually evangelize us. See, Jesus' story about going out and helping the, uh, the widow from Sidon or the leper from Syria, those people became witnesses to God's own special people, Israel, that God can work when and where and how He chooses. And it's to convict Israel so that Israel can say, okay, we get it. You need to work on us the same way. It's the same way with us in the church. Some of you uh, uh, passed around a tweet uh, that um, um, <clears throat> came up recently. And, and you know, Christian Chronicle last year came and told the story of what we did with Night to Shine. And I, and I loved that. That was great. Um, I love the fact Rick called him and he said, Bobby, you've got to get here. You know? And he's like, well, no. And Rick was like, no, you've got to be here. And he was. And it was good. And, and everything worked out. And then Bobby was talking to us. Bobby Ross was talking to us about the event, and and he got to see it, and he got to witness it and report it. And one of the things that I told him, and I don't even remember saying this, and everybody thought it was great that I got quoted. Don't worry about the fact that I got quoted. Listen to what was said, is that in Night to Shine, we got to see the values of the upside-down kingdom, where the ones that we think are those people, those people with needs, those people who don't have what I have. They're the ones that are especially blessed. And I'm the one in need. When you see it from the kingdom perspective, it changes things. Church, so often we we come together in the name of Jesus. We come together to encourage one another. And we think that the goal is to show everybody else that we've got it all together. I'm here to help you. Why? Because I'm a preacher, I'm a Christian. I've figured this out. How can I help you? Thing is, I'm poor. I'm a captive. I'm blind. I'm oppressed. I need the Lord's favor just as much as you do. You know, and we say that, and it sounds good, and we all accept it. You know, nobody's really going to disagree with that. Nobody's going to disagree with the fact that I'm, I'm broken and messed up. I mean, sure, that's, I, I think that ought to be apparent by now. And we all like that idea, but actually accepting it and living it out, that can be tough, and that can cause us, even if we don't want to jump up and throw somebody off of a cliff, it might cause us to back up and avoid it. In these stories where we are going to see Christ at work, And because of who he is and because people will accept who he is, evil is put on the run. The power of the demonic is knocked down. Illnesses are healed. Uh, Captives are set free. But to do that, we need to ask a question. Can we accept it? Can we accept that Christ is who he says he is? Some of you remember my friend Dan Bouchelle, who came and preached here. He works with Mission Resource Network. 
um, back in October, Dan was telling me stories about things that he and some of his partners are experiencing where Jesus is making himself known to people of the Muslim faith. And this is happening around the world. And the, and the thing is, they're not sharing a story of Jesus and affirming that Jesus is a historical figure and this is who he says. No, the Muslim people are coming to them and saying, oh, I've met Jesus. He appeared to me in a dream. Oh, I've met Jesus, or as they call him, Esau. He led us out of captivity. He took us to a place of safety. He provided for us. He brought healing. And they're telling stories to Dan and his companions of power, of revelation and appearance. I don't know how that, how you receive that. I'm kind of like Dan. I'm accepting it, but, uh, and these are Dan's words, I don't know in my experience I have a bucket to put that in. But at the same time, I'm not going to tell them that they didn't experience Jesus. Who am I to say that? Jesus, when he works among us, will do as he pleases because he is king of kings, lord of lords. Lovely banners, but do we mean it? And will we allow him to do the same among that? Or are we going to call Jesus down on the rules? Hey, wait a second. You're not supposed to do that. Jesus, you're acting all first century and New Testament. You know? We're going to throw yellow flags. Foul. Age of miracles is over. Don't do that. Now, again, the goal here is not to expect a miracle. Nazareth wanted miracles. Physician, heal yourself. Come on, Jesus. Show us some magic. That wasn't the goal. The goal was to accept that Jesus is who he says he is, that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, put it like this. He said, you've got to make a decision about Jesus, but the one thing you can't do, and I'm paraphrasing Lewis, says, you can't give me this nonsense that Jesus is just a great moral teacher. Uh, And none of us would say that, but sometimes what we want is, we need Jesus to be the dead Jesus on the cross, the sacrifice, so that we don't have to pay for our own sins. And that's all nice and great. Thank you, Jesus, for doing that. Now, we're going to get along with our living, knowing that when it's all over, we get to go to heaven. Thank you, Jesus. We'll show up every Sunday and remember that. Folks, he's either Lord and he's living and he's among us or he's not. C.S. Lewis said, you can dismiss him as a lunatic. You can call him a liar, a madman. Or you can accept him as Lord. And if you do, that means you bow down and you worship him. You give yourself to him as Lord. There's no middle ground. And sometimes we want to put off that decision and say, I'm not sure. And I'm not saying that no one shouldn't be ready when they make that decision. Although, how ready do you have to be to accept him as Lord? How much is there in that? And sometimes when we keep putting off... and, And by the way, many of us here may have made the decision to give our lives to Jesus, 
But the daily decision, the momentary decision to submit ourselves to Jesus, that that can be tough. Because sometimes we want to lean on our own understanding. Sometimes we want to lead on on our own expectations of Jesus and what he should do. And when we keep putting off those decisions, are you ready to hear this? We're not saying maybe. We are saying no to Jesus. When we put it off, it's a yes or no equation. Well, you know, when I'm ready, when I'm prepared, when I make sure that I can do everything that I need to do to get myself saved, that's when I'll say yes to Jesus. Well, then why do you need Jesus? It's a yes or no situation. What's the alternative? Can we accept it? Can we accept what Christ can do and will do among us? We need to decide. We need to decide as individuals and we need to decide as a congregation. In 2018, if God is opening doors for us to reach out, if God is giving us opportunities to grow and to encourage one another, then we have to accept that all permission and all power within this congregation does not come from any human authority, but it comes from the risen Lord Jesus. Can we accept it? We need to decide. And if you're waiting for an invitation, here it is. Let's stand. Let's sing.